It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! Woohoo! The July 3rd edition, right before Independence Day, July 4th. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining me. I expected nobody to be here today because everybody probably took off already for a holiday weekend. But as it turns out, when I checked a bunch of other companies to find out what they were doing for days off for the holiday, all but one were working Monday and taking Tuesday off. So that's what we're doing. Uh, kind of a quiet day here at Taxi, getting a lot of stuff done. Today's show is going to be about how much competition is there at Taxi and other music industry myths. So welcome to the big show. Let me get the chat room open. <laughs> Everyone's favorite host, Michael Lasko. Well, <laughs> certainly my favorite host. I want to say a quick thank you to uh, Taxi member Beverly Cashin, who uh, saw me licking my fingers during an episode back in April and sent me a very large stash of these. <laughs> um, getting used to them. I have tried them before. There are a bunch of things you could use these for, which I won't go into, but it uh, feels a little awkward to have a couple of them on, but we'll see. It's definitely helping me turn pages better. So let us jump right in, but before we do, I'd like to remind those of you who are new to hit the subscribe button, and uh, if you like what we're talking about on today's show, give us a like. would appreciate that. Um, man, I see all the friendly faces in there. Good for fried chicken. Yes, they are. They're good for cleaning your ears. Oh, I won't even get into it. I'd probably get arrested for some of the stuff I could say. Anyway... Um, hope you guys are well and uh, ready to do it. The number one myth, the competition at Taxi is really high. I've been hearing this for 32 years, the entire time the company has been in existence, and it just blows my mind. Um, it's propagated to some extent by musicians who might be using that as an excuse for not joining Taxi. It's like, I'm not going to join. I heard the competition's really high. Um, I think that people get stuff stuck in their imaginations and it becomes reality to them. So I think that's the case. But there's also uh, a person who owns a little company that I think would like to compete with Taxi. Um, and frankly, uh, he's got a YouTube channel that does well. Um, and I think that he's one of the most visible myth spreaders uh, because he sells a course that gives you a templated email and a list of music library email addresses. And I believe he'd like you or musicians, not the people who already joined Taxi, but people who are thinking about it. I think he would like them to believe that your chances are practically nil at Taxi so that you would buy his course. Um, I, I read this months ago. I'm going to read it again just because it's so apropos of this. Uh, here's a direct quote from one of his recent YouTube videos. Um, some of the big companies, he doesn't come out and say taxi, but he's talking about uh, what he calls cattle call companies. Uh, some of the big companies have hundreds of thousands of people like you uh, that are also getting the same emails, the same blast, the same opportunities, and getting everybody hyped up on some huge, hey, they're going to pay you $50,000 for a sync fee, or is this $100,000? 
Um, and it's getting everybody hyped up and they're sending their music and the odds are just not in anybody's favor, right? When you have that many composers, that many producers, it's kind of like you're all being hur hurtled into essentially this opportunity. Chances are, even if you have great music, you're probably just not going to get it, meaning the, the placement, because there's going to be one track that gets into it and probably 5,000 songs that get submitted to it. I don't like those odds for my career, for my source of income. I'm not taking one out of 5,000. Sorry, not good enough for me. I hope it's not good enough for you either. Uh, this is really making me smile. Those companies for sure leave a bitter taste in a lot of people's mouths because they feel like, hey, I was in sync licensing. I got into this company. They were sending my music out and then nothing happened. And so it's all a scam and nothing works out. Whoa. Um, so, what do you say? Should we bust that myth? Yes, we should. First of all, uh, this gentleman who has the YouTube channel clearly watches our YouTube channel because he copies a lot of stuff that we do, uh, both taxi in general and on YouTube. Uh, but there, if he really followed us closely, he'd know that there is no such thing at, as competition at taxi because everything that's on target um, and above the quality bar gets forwarded. It's not like we listen to submission number three and then when we get to submission number 78, we go, ooh, this is better than number three. Let's go take number three back out of the bucket and throw that one away. It's no longer a contender. We don't do that. Frankly, we don't have like the manpower or the process to do that and we wouldn't want to do it because we're not running a, a comparison. It's just two criteria. Is it on target for what the company asked for? And is it above the quality bar? If it meets those criteria, it gets forwarded. All 5,000 of them. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, there are no quotas. Um, and we just don't compare one submission to another. Who the heck could do that? Sometimes we've got as many as three or four different screeners on a particular listing. Um, how would screener number, you know, the second screener on the second day of screening know what the first screener forwarded uh, and then have to go back and check that out and compare it to this one and then screener number three later that afternoon check the stuff that he's doing against what the other people did it's just crazy um, so anyway here's some further bustification on that myth these are actual submission numbers for 20 listings that we had before when I covered this topic uh, a few months ago. Uh, I think it was like February or March, something like that. These were not cherry-picked. We didn't go through and pick ones with low numbers. We literally, I, I called down to Tom, our head of A&R, and said, can you send me the numbers for the last 20 listings? So that's what I got. So I'm going to read off what these are. Uh, the submission numbers that we got, and Tom included in this one the, the number of forwards as well. So I'll give you those, and just know that these were not cherry-picked, and these were listings that ended in early February. Um, all right, uh, I guess I'll read the listing numbers. Uh, listing number S230204CN, very current dance pop songs. We got 21 submissions, we had six forwards. Um, not 5,000 submissions, or 5,000 forwards. Uh, listing number S230204GN, Indie Pop Songs for TV Commercials. We had 58 submissions and six forwards for that as well. 
listing number S230130NT, 60s and 70s songs a la Santana during the 1965 through 1980 period of his career. We only had 15 submissions for that and two forwards. Uh, listing number S230203TR, Indie Electropop Artisan Bands, 26 submissions and three forwards. Uh, sync friendly, this one's for a dispatch listing. Um, and generally, we get fewer submissions for dispatch because only 10% of our members are actually dispatch members. Um, sync friendly hip hop instrumentals, we got 25 submissions and five forwards. Uh, listing number S230201MM is in MMs. Uh, EDM inspired pop songs, 59 submissions and 11 forwards. S230124VY, heavy rock songs with Southern blues influence, 60 submissions and five forwards. Um, notice a pattern yet? A lot of things around 60 submissions. Definitely not 5,000, nor are we sending this out to tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. <laughs> um, don't worry, I'm not going to pick on this guy for the whole show. Uh, where are we? Uh, this one really surprised me. This one was uh, D230130UM, sync-friendly pop instrumental cues. We only had five submissions and one forward. Uh, so that's 20% got forwarded. Uh, S230201TH, uplifting anthemic orchestral instrumentals, 86 submissions and eight forwards. S230201CW, current sounding soca songs. I was shocked that we got anything because not you know, people have soca instrumentals. They can make soca instrumentals. Not that many people have soca songs. Uh, we got 11 submissions and nothing was on target or good enough to get forwarded for that one, sad to say. Um, S230130BB, pop ballads for Lucy Thomas. We got 77 submissions and three forwards. Um, I actually heard the forwards for this one and I was tickled pink. Uh, I just asked Tom to reach out today and find out. There was one that I thought was so perfect that there's no way they couldn't use it in the film course. All, you know, depends on the director or the executive producer, depending if it's a TV show or film, um, watching it against picture and deciding if they think it's as cool as I did listening to it without picture. But it was listing number S230111SC. Here comes Santa Claus marching band instrumentals um, we had 54 submissions and eight forwards and i gotta tell you the forwards uh were really good there was one that i thought was a standout everything about it was perfect um so we'll find out and let you guys know um let's see s230129hh mainstream hip-hop 74 songs 74 submissions 18 forwards S230114TV, alternative, dark, heavy, pop rock songs, 46 submissions, and five forwards. So once again, this is what I typed in here, once again, this guy is flat out lying and pulling those numbers of 5,000 to one odds completely out of his butt. Why do you think he does that? I just can't imagine. Um, if you're ever like, you know, 
answering stuff or putting stuff down in the comments below his videos, ask him where, where he gets those numbers from. Because I can't just make up numbers or make up stuff about people. I couldn't say that a particular composer got busted for plagiarizing 183 times in a row and put that out there in the world, even if I didn't mention him or her by name and just strongly inferred who they were so that you could kind of figure it out. You can't do that stuff. That's not cool. Anyway, here are some more submission numbers for more recent listings broken out by instrumentals and songs. So thank you, Tom, for doing that. Oh, these are really good for scratching an itch. <laughs> thank you, Beverly. Uh, okay, so these were recent. These were like, I don't know, 10 days ago, two weeks ago. I didn't ask them for submission numbers on this, but they were recent. Um, American Attention Instrumentals, we got 34 submissions. Happy Commercial Instrumental Cues, we got 143 submissions. Jazzy Flute Instrumentals, I thought we'd get zip for that one. Um, we had 44 submissions. EDM Summer Chill Instrumentals, 47 submissions. Jazzy Sax Beats uh, Instrumentals, 58 submissions. Uplifting and Inspirational Cues, 98 submissions. Action Percussion Instrumental Cues, 48 submissions. Dramatic Trailer Orchestral Instro Cues, 81 submissions. Frankly, I'm always shocked. Orchestral is probably the hardest, certainly one of the hardest genres to do. It just requires a lot more time and a wide range of skills to get it really right, to take even the best, most expensive sounding libraries and make them sound very, very authentic. It takes time and work and knowledge and practice. It ain't easy. So I would think that we would get less submissions on that, but frankly, we always get a, a pretty good number comparatively. Techno instrumentals for film, 57 submissions. Tribal, world, world influenced alt pop instros, that's a mouthful, 29 submissions. Um, all right, and now songs. Okay, now here's the dirty little secret. Uh, Hit-worthy country songs, we got 479 submissions for that one. Country, there are a lot of people out there that want to have a country hit, and they're well aware. We don't hide the fact that it's hard to break through in Nashville. It's not impossible. Uh, we've had two instances where taxi members got a song cut in Nashville, ended up having a number one hit, so it can happen. It's just a long shot. And as my dear departed friend Ralph Murphy, who is kind of like the unofficial mayor of Nashville, once said to me, at any moment in time, there's something like, I'm doing this from memory, but like 9,000 people that have either had a top 10 charted single or a number one charted single, whatever it is, I remember the number 9,000. So 9,000 people who are good enough that they've had chart success in Nashville, and they're writing every day, doing writing meetings every day, pitching all the time, demoing stuff all the time, and they have a hard time getting a cut. Um, so it's tough, but we've had two taxi members do it. Honestly, personally, if I loved making country music, which by the way, I have tremendous respect for country writers because they are among the very best in the business, I would be doing country for film and TV. 10 years ago, I wouldn't have said that. Five years ago, eh. But all of a sudden, in the last few years, country has gained a lot of momentum uh, in the sync world. I can't say that it's one of the absolute most popular genres, but definitely, um, 
definitely one of the, I just saw something in the chat that I'll address in a moment. Uh, anyway, uh, it's something that's picked up a lot of steam and getting used more often. It used to be, ooh, country? No, we can't use any of that. The reason was country music has a lot of visual details in the lyrics and a lot of story in the lyrics. And you can't have a lot of visual details in story when you're working with film and TV because the details in the story are there in the picture and the script already. So it was conflicting. But people are starting to learn how to write in a country style that sounds authentic using very general feelings and emotions rather than, you know, I saw her on the front porch on a hot summer day. Um, now you could simply say, I was so excited when I saw her. And same thing, kind of. <laughs> uh, remind me about how about having three screeners evaluate uh, submission by checking yes, no box. <laughs> remind me later when I get into the FA or the Q&A, okay? Because that deserves uh, an answer. Okay, going back to the song list. Positive, high-energy indie rock songs, 91 submissions. Pop songs with positive and upbeat vocals, only 10 submissions. Fun, high-energy pop rock songs, 109 submissions. Pop country artists and bands, 111 submissions. Rock flute songs, 18 submissions. Dark, slow building song for a film, um, retro rock. This was for a particular film. It was direct-to-music supervisor, if I remember correctly, not going through a publisher. If a member got that placement, he or she would keep 100% of the income and retain 100% of the rights. 134 submissions for that one. Um, Dubstep-influenced pop house songs, 25 submissions. Mainstream rock songs, only 93 submissions for that one. I would have guessed a lot more. Pop singer-songwriter ballads, 145 submissions. So yeah, ballads, everybody's got a ballad. Uh, and frankly, a lot of people in the industry don't really want a ballad. It's hard to have a hit with a ballad. Um, it's a little hard sometimes to have a placement with a ballad, reason being the lyric takes a very long time to develop because the tempo of the song in the scene may be moving forward faster than the lyric that's telling the story moves with it. Just one person's opinion, but Pretty knowledgeable person, at least I like to think so. Myth number two. Ooh, this one gets me really ticked off. Taxi uses interns to screen the music. No, we don't. The company will be 32 years old in January. Um, so we're in our 32nd year now, if I'm getting that right. Not once, not once, for even one song or instrumental in all of those years, have we ever used an intern? Not once. Um, I'm gonna have Liz pop up uh, the list, uh, there, or link, I mean, to the list of screeners, which frankly, we are pathetic about updating that often enough. Um, but the list of screeners is on our website and people just don't bother to do their homework and check that stuff out. If, if we were, in fact, using interns as screeners and not super well-qualified experts in specific genres with resumes that are oftentimes mind-blowingly good, um, don't you think somebody would have snitched on us by now? 
that there would have been somebody from the staff that I fired two years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago that would have said, hey, words out on taxi. I used to work there and they used to use interns to screen that music. There are certainly people out there who don't like me because I fired them. No question about it. Um, not once has anybody ever said that. Uh, maybe my friend who does the other YouTube show will make that up and post that. You know, I used to work at Taxi and they used interns. So it's not true. Uh, just not true. Myth number three, the screeners at Taxi look for reasons to reject you. Those were air quotes <laughs> with those things. <laughs> um, why on God's green earth would we look for reasons to reject you? Why? When somebody doesn't get forwarded, every single time we don't forward a piece of music, we have moved some taxi members somewhere in the world an inch closer to going, I'm not coming back. I'm not renewing my membership. We're not looking for ways to reject anybody. We're praying to God every time we hit the play button that the music is gonna be great. Why? Because it feels better to forward great music. It validates that what we're doing for our members in helping them move forward to get better, especially in the, in the realm of film and TV, I guess, and songwriting and artistry in general, that the, the wisdom that our screeners pass on to them is paying off. Um, and we want to forward. We want to find as much great music as we can and send that to our industry clients. Our industry clients love us. They really do. Uh, they don't tell us very often um, just because everybody's busy all the time. But when they do, man, they say some really nice stuff about us. They say incredible stuff about our members. So why wouldn't we want to find the best music? It hurts us every time we can't forward something. Um, Ken Mesford. Hey, buddy. How are you? Uh, okay. Myth number four. This one's pretty wordy. Uh, so bear with me, because I read this like three times. I'm like, is there any way for me to make this make more sense? If you have a song or instrumental that gets multiple returns from multiple screeners at Taxi, remember, this is a myth, just keep pitching it as it is and ignore the advice from the screeners, because sooner or later, one of those screeners is going to see the genius in your work and the pearly gates are going to open up and your music will get signed. That's a myth. Um, it's heartbreaking, actually, for us to see somebody doing that. I, I look at our database several times a week. Sorry, I keep making noises with my little fingers. Uh, I look at our database. I want to see where our new members are from, what kind of music they're doing. Just get to know your customers, you know? And, and I saw a gentleman that has submitted one country song over and over and this is not he believe me he's not alone in this um i want to pick up the phone and call this guy and say eh, not such a great idea my guess is he wrote one and i've listened to the song it's pretty darn good is it competitive with the stuff those nine thousand charted writers are writing in nashville no is it far better than what most people who are not nashville writers could do yeah but being far better than your weaker competition is not what's necessary. What's necessary is being better than the 9,000. Fresher, better, newer, better ideas, better way of saying the same old stuff. 
better melodies, all that stuff. So um, this, <coughs> this gentleman, sorry, um, has submitted the same thing, I don't know, three, four, five, six times, and it keeps getting returned. I didn't go in and look at what the screeners were saying, um, and I'm sure that they're saying something like I did, which is pretty darn good. However, I'll bet you anything, he's not really pitching it at the appropriate stuff, and even if he did, it's not quite there yet. But it sounds like he probably recorded it with one of the you know better Nashville demo studios, or maybe somebody elsewhere with a good demo studio. It's pretty well engineered and produced and, and performed, all that stuff. So my guess is it's really hard for him to go in and make changes. Therefore, rather than writing more songs or making the necessary changes to improve it and make it more competitive, he just keeps submitting it for other country listings, hoping that sooner or later somebody's going to go, oh, this is exactly what they're looking for, and forward it. I guess anything can happen. Do I think that's going to happen for this person? Probably not. I hope he's watching the show. Uh, I literally was thinking about this guy yesterday afternoon on the weekend. I don't know why, but I was. And I thought, maybe I should just call him up and say, if you're going to keep doing this, let me give you a refund now, because we don't like taking people's money when they're not going to get a real benefit from taxi, because then they're going to end up not liking us. And we'd rather have, you know, 98% of our members out there going, wow, those guys bust their butt to help me get forwarded and to help me get better and to help me learn how to make a, an income with my music. Um, we don't need 2% of our members walking around grousing about, yeah, I joined Taxi and I kept submitting, never got any forwards. Well, you don't get the backstory. The reason the person didn't get forwards is because they were pitching poorly or pitching something that was pretty good, but not great. The industry is not looking for pretty good, by the way. That's a myth right there. The industry is not looking for pretty good. And there's a lot of pretty good out there. They're looking for great. And yet you might be saying to yourself, but I've heard a lot of stuff that's like, hmm, not that good on the radio or on Spotify. Must be political. Maybe somebody got paid off or their sister-in-law works at the record label or something. I'm sure there have been some tiny little percentage of cases where that might have been true but I've been in the industry approaching 50 freaking years, 55-0, for real. Like the real industry, <laughs> not the pretend I want to be in the music industry, but the real music industry. And I have not seen a lot of evidence that that happens. Um, so there you go. Uh, okay, let's move on to Miss About the Industry in general. Myth number one. Ooh, this is a good one. And this same gentle person who infers that Taxi is a cattle call evil company um, with 5,000 submissions or forwards or whatever, same gentleman uh, has been recommending and, and propagating them this myth, which is it's better to produce full albums of instrumentals or songs and then pitch the finished album to music libraries unsolicited. I'm going to repeat that one because I didn't execute my delivery as well as I would have liked. Myth number one, it's better to produce full albums of instrumentals or songs and then pitch the finished album to music libraries unsolicited. Well, let's bust that myth. Um, 
what are the odds that every track is what they need? And the tracks don't need revisions or fixes, or these should come off and those should stay on. All that stuff's a possibility. It's a pretty strong probability, in my opinion. Why not pitch one or two tracks, and when the library contacts you about them, they'll often ask you for more of that same style and give you directions so that when you make a full album of 9, 10, 11 tracks for them, then it's got a really high probability of being on the money because they told you exactly what they need. Yet this person who's propagating this myth is also the person that sells a course that gives you an email template to use when you pitch this stuff unsolicited and gives you a list of music library emails, um, which you can find by yourself online if you've got the time and wherewithal to do that and want to do the research to find out which libraries are really, really good ones and which libraries are right for the kind of music that you make. Because we all know just because a friend of yours is having success with a library doesn't mean that you too will have success with that very same library. Your friend could be doing orchestral stuff you might do singer-songwriter. Maybe the library doesn't have as many opportunities for singer-songwriter material to pitch. Uh, they don't work with shows that use a lot of that. Um, there, there are myriad reasons why two people or five people or a hundred people won't get the same results from the same library. Duh. But you can do the research and find out. It, it's tedious, it's laborious takes a lot of time. Um, a lot of people don't have that time. They have a job, they have a family, they have softball or little league practice, um, whatever, homework, kids to tuck in, all that stuff. So they join Taxi because we do all that work for them. So he's been saying, this person and others, not he's doesn't stand alone. Um, frankly, I think the other people that got the idea heard it from him and then maybe propagated that myth on their YouTube channels as well or their websites. But think about it. Why would you want to invest the time to make a, a full album of material that you don't know who needs it? You don't know that it's spot on for what they need. You don't know how they might ask you to fix it or which tracks to take off or make me more like that or make everything 30 seconds shorter or your buttoned endings really need to be bigger, like more impactful like a stinger would be. So there are all those variables in there. Why not submit one thing to a taxi listing, get it forward to the library, and as many of you have experienced, the libraries reach out and say, hey, Charlie, I really like this. Can you make more of this? And then you get specific marching orders so that you're making the right 10 tracks for the right person at the right time. So there you go, myth busted. Myth number two in the industry in general. Oh, this one relates to that. It's better to use a template of a pitch letter or email that you got from a course that you and thousands of other composers or artists or songwriters who also took that course paid hundreds of dollars for the course and then send that templated email out unsolicited to a few hundred music libraries to get your music signed rather than using a trusted service, gee, who could I be talking about, that delivers super high quality solicited requests from high quality music libraries that are highly vetted and give you daily access to their briefs of current and immediate needs. Myth busted. If you were a music library owner, would you think about this? 
if you owned a music library or ran a music library or had a production at a music library, would you rather get hundreds of unsolicited emails from musicians who bought an email list, or would you rather get timely, targeted, curated music that you requested from Taxi? I recently got a phone call. This is an absolutely true story. Not the first one of these, just the most recent. I recently got a phone call from a library owner. Whoops, sorry. <laughs> I can't access my phone because I've got the rubber thingy on my finger. Whoops. Oh, man. Okay, here we go. There we go. All right, so going back to this, sorry about that little um, distraction. If you were a music library owner, yeah, would you rather get hundreds of unsolicited emails from musicians who bought an email list, or would you rather get timely, targeted, curated music that you requested from Taxi? I got a, recently got a phone call from a library owner who asked, why am I getting all these unsolicited emails from people with substandard music who don't even know what the production music world is all about, and they all have the same wording and the same subject line in their emails? Well, that's because this person who seems to hate taxi um, keeps selling people this course and people take the course so they can get the email list um, and the template, which they think is going to produce magical results for them. Yes, why not go direct? Um, yeah, you know, in a perfect world, if you've got the time and your music is great and you know what you're doing and you've got the resources and the business savvy in the production music world or film and TV in general, do it. But if you don't, you are much more likely to make a really bad first impression because you bought a list, used a templated email. Oh my gosh, here's another one of those templated email people. Uh, and your music isn't anything like a production music library would need. Now, you might think, well, they're getting a bunch of these. They won't remember my name. They might. I think I've got one example buried in here somewhere where somebody's name definitely got remembered. Um, I could think of some examples that I personally know of that uh, whose names got remembered in the library community. I'm absolutely certain of that. Um, okay, myth number three, the pay-to-play myth. Um, I didn't write anything down for this one. I'm, I'm just going to wing it. Um, you know, people have been calling Taxi Pay to Play forever, and other companies pay pay to play. It's like, oh, everybody in the industry should do stuff for free. Your accountant doesn't, your lawyer doesn't do it for free. A uh, person who might clean your house or paint your house or wash your car, whatever. Nobody performs a service for free. Um, I, there may be exceptions. I'm not thinking of one on the fly right here. Anyway, this person has loved to say, pay to Taxi is pay to play. Yet he sells. Of course, <laughs> you're paying him about the same money, I believe, is what taxi costs. Uh, so yeah, that's just ridiculous. But um, I just saw one of this person's re most recent videos the other day. He recently did something that's a little bit like the Taxi Road Rally, a small one. I don't know, maybe it sounds like maybe 100 people there or something. Actually did it at an airport hotel near LAX. Um, uh, following our, our lead on that because it is a great place so people don't have to rent cars if you get them near the airport. But he came away from his event going, wow, this is great. It's, I've never seen anything like this. It's a community of like-minded people. Yeah, we've never 
seen or heard of that happening before for the last 26 years at the taxi road. Right? But great, he picked up on that and it worked and good for them. But he came away from that and came up with a brilliant idea that he says, I actually saw him say this on video, I don't think anybody else in the industry is doing this. And remember, this is the person who loves to propagate the myth that um, gazillions of people are submitting to taxis listings and, and you don't need to go through an intermediary or a middleman. Oh, he does not like middlemen. So he's offering a new thing. He's going to roll out a monthly live video that you pay to join and have a couple of music library owners on there who will tell you in advance if you pay what kind of music they could use in their catalog and then they will review it live during a thing like taxi tv um but remember this guy hates taxi because it's pay to play <laughs> oh well can't make this stuff up um myth number four Ooh. Please listen carefully to this one. Myth number four. It's okay to ghost a music library owner or other music industry professional when they reach out to you. They won't mind. Myth busted. Here's an actual email from a high-end music library, and I'm quoting. This went to Tom, our head of A&R. Hey, Tom. The ghosting continues with taxi writers. I know you have no control over this, but I thought I'd just double check and see if I might have an incorrect email address for this person. Um, what I have is blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to reach this person in regard to her song submission for XYZ listing. Uh, this was for taxi listing number S230429TL, retro soul style songs with female vocals in the style of Danielle Ponder. Please let me know if you have any ability to contact her. Maybe my emails are hitting her junk. I think he meant junk folder. Just saying. <laughs> All my best signed by the library's owner. Um, so I saw this because I was copied on it, and I was actually out of the country, but figured, okay, well, these guys are sleeping uh, in America. I'll send an email or go check our database, something I did to, you know, to try and move this, solve this problem. Um, so then Tom responded saying that he found that the email address the library owner had was correct. Here's the phone number and the library owner writes back, Hey, Tom and Michael, no, I'm not going to chase these people anymore. At least you guys get paid to screen. We don't. Arg. Such a waste of time and effort. So you know what? Um, and we eventually did get a hold of, of that member. It's like, why did you not respond? Well, I, I can't remember exactly, and I don't want to totally misquote, so I'm letting you know that I may be. It was something like I decided I didn't want to sign with an exclusive company, or I decided that I didn't want to sign this away um, for film and TV. I wanted to pitch it for record stuff. Whatever the reason was, you paid five dollars and submitted to a listing that was written very clearly and you've had a change of heart you're entitled to have a change of heart but if the company if your music gets forwarded and the company reaches out to you just write back and say thanks so much for contacting me i've had a change of heart have a nice day because now i guarantee you this music library owner knows who that person is and 
that person's probably not. I, mean, I don't want this guy's not a vengeful or grudge bearing kind of guy. He's a really good guy with a really good reputation, very professional. But he's not going to want to do business with that person. He's just not. Um, so there you go. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's the myth that people in the industry don't care if you ghost them. They absolutely do, and that's one of several ways that you could uh, be kind of a ding-dong when it regards to acting professionally in the context of business. Um, okay, now I'm moving on to Q&A. These are questions that were sent in by members in advance of the show, and then once I get through these, then I will hit you guys up and have you post questions in the chat room. So. Write them down now so you don't forget them, and hang on, I'll be with you in about 10 minutes maybe. First question from, Gre this is from Gregory Johnston. How many industry scammers are out there? <laughs> um, honestly, Gregory, I have no idea. They certainly exist. I don't know if it's three, if it's 10, if it's 50, or it's 100. Uh, look, Taxi gets lumped into that by that guy that's got another YouTube channel, you know, he doesn't say the word taxi, but it's those big kettle call companies, you know, you know who they are. Um, he's just avoiding a lawsuit. Um, and, and he uses the word scam very liberally. Um, yet he mimics practically everything we do. So he must think that our scam is better than the one he's running, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, um, I don't know how many scammers are out there. In any industry, there are always people that think they found a quicker, easier way to get money from your, their pocket, from your pocket into their pocket by cutting corners, doing something unethical. Um, that's not the way I was raised by my parents. Thanks, mom and dad. That's not the way I've ever run this company because I want my kids to be proud of me. That's the legacy I'm looking for with this company. All I really care about is can my kids say, my dad ran that company in a very honest way. He was very ethical. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show you guys something. Oh, no, I'm not, because it'll upset the green screen. There's, I'm looking up at an oil painting of my grandfather, kind of one of those old 1940s boardroom looking, looks like he's a banker or something, wearing a suit and tie. Um, that painting used to hang in my grandparents' house in the little farm town I grew up in. When I was a kid, I was mesmerized by that painting. Um, I, I could see the, the honesty in my grandfather's eyes. I mean, you look at this painting and go, there's a nice guy. And he was known throughout town as being a really honest business person. And so many years ago, probably, I don't know, close to 20 years ago, my parents were cleaning out a storage thing. They saw this painting, called me and said, do you want us to send you that painting of grandpa that you used to love when you were a kid? And I said, absolutely. So they shipped it out here. It made it in one piece, and I've got it hanging on my wall as a daily reminder of that's the bar. He set the bar for me um, because I knew him well and watched him in action all the time. Uh, he set the bar for how to run a business ethically. Other people apparently didn't grow up with my grandfather's influence. I can't speak for them. I don't want to judge them. I know they're out there. Buyer beware. Uh, and, you know, frankly, like that that guy I've referenced several times in the show today on YouTube, he comes across as the most sincere guy. He's not dumb. I, I reached out to him a few years ago. I wanted to invite him to do a thing at the road rally because I, I was so enamored with what a 
great job he was doing of dispensing information on the industry. And I really liked watching his videos. Um, but then I realized, in my opinion, my personal opinion, I think he's full of it now. Looking back, I go, wow, I, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. I don't think he's unknowledgeable. Funny thing is, you know what? Uh, maybe he is a little less knowledgeable than I realized. He, in his most, uh, like two videos ago, after his road rally clone uh, was over, he said, well, I, I learned a couple things. Um, where was, I totally lost my, he, he learned that, oh, one of the library owners or maybe several of them, I think that there were three or four library owners at the event, um, made him aware that libraries don't necessarily want full albums. Yet for years, this individual has been teaching that on his channel. People have been paying him money to get information that wasn't entirely accurate. That was his opinion, uh, and, and I would guess a professional opinion because he has had some success uh, with his music. It's got it in several libraries. Um, how he never knew that? Because I, I would watch him make that statement on, on his YouTube videos and go, well, that's not right. I know a bunch of people that would prefer not to get finished albums because they know that there are going to be so many changes done. Why not make me the album I ask you for based on what I've heard of your music? And I could give you specific direction rather than having to correct a bunch of stuff when you send me a full thing that's already done and in the can. So um, he's giving out false information and, and I don't think he did it by intent, but I think that he was not as wise and knowledgeable as he might think he is. And he's really, really good in his delivery. I gotta say, I'm envious of his delivery. The guy can look in the camera and be like, so sincere. I remember during, uh, during COVID, uh, he started doing, he changed his whole channel's direction to do this thing about staying mentally healthy during COVID, which certainly not a bad endeavor, uh, but it's like he was chasing whatever is the hot thing on YouTube right now, trying to get more views. Um, soon as ChatGPT kind of hit the public's eye, all of a sudden, I'm changing the scope of my channel again, away from production music to um, AI. Um, and started doing all these AI videos to get more numbers, and it worked to some extent. Um, and, and then he changed away from that again. And now it's all about, there's a community out there, and we're going to start um, charging people to be part of these private listening sessions where your music could get picked up by a library owner. Anyway, he's chasing whatever the shiny object is. And I could see it because... I have a YouTube channel, I have a company, I'm heavily into marketing. And, and on one hand, it's like I give the guy a lot of credit. He's working hard. Uh, on the other hand, it's just somewhat funny to me. Anyway, I digress. Uh, the question number two from Andy Reedman: Is it possible for successful songs and cues to be posted online so people can learn from them? And more importantly, understand why their submissions were unsuccessful. Andy, Andy, Andy. We've been doing that for years. You've been missing the boat, dude. Um, but you can get on the boat. Liz just put the link in the chat room, blog.taxi.com slash forward. Um, we really uh, have been doing this for 
gosh, I don't know how many years now, um, you can also go to the Taxi Forum and look at forwards. The members of their own accord will go up there and say, hey, remember that listing, blah, 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 blah. Uh, here was my, my song or instrumental and it got forwarded. Um, the, the blog at blog.taxi.com slash forward um, is something that we post every day. Uh, unless the members' music is not public, then we can't post it. But we post what the listing asked for, and here's most of the stuff that got forwarded. Our successful members swear by that list. So good, great question, Andy. Um, I'm just a little bummed out that you didn't already know about it because they certainly talk about it a lot. Um, Andy, you should also watch, um, Liz, you might want to post a, a link to the um, new member uh, Zoom thing that's on the front page of our uh, YouTube channel. Because I talk about all this stuff and every new member gets a, an invite to a new member Zoom and then they get a link saying, sorry, you couldn't join us, watch this. Literally, we hand you the keys to the kingdom on a silver platter dripping with honey and bacon. Um, we could not make it any more inviting. We tell you how to succeed with taxi because um, there's a lot more to it than just making great music. I mean, they're, it's making great pitches and having a great, um, a great presence in the business world and, you know, answering people's phone calls and emails and not sending them a 400 word email and do send them the right kind of music when you promise it to them. All that stuff is discussed in there. You really should do it. Ronnie Bear says bacon is the key. You bet your butt, Ronnie. Uh, honey and bacon, sign me up. Hey, Polly, how are you, buddy? Um, I was actually thinking about you over the weekend. Uh, uh, I, I won't even get into that subject on, on the show, but uh, we should catch up on a phone call. Um, anyway, there you go. Um, and here's one from Kath, Catherine Werlinich. Um, Catherine, I remember your name. Weren't you part of the uh, Quarantini Happy Hour crowd from time to time? Which I was also thinking, I don't know why I was thinking about Taxi so much this past weekend. I miss doing the Quarantini Happy Hours. I just don't think it would have the same vibe to like redo them without COVID keeping us all locked up in our homes. It really was like a cozy, friendly place with a bunch of people who could just do anything, say anything, and watch my goofy ass for an hour every day. Um, I don't know. Someday I would like to at least do one a week, maybe a members-only thing or something. I really miss it. Um, okay, Catherine Werlinich wants to know, what listings pull in higher numbers of submissions what listings generate the lower numbers of submissions and what are the hardest listings to place? Um, I think she means hardest genres to place. Anyway, Catherine, I sure hope you're watching this show because I rattled off, I think, 40 different examples of current listings that were not cherry-picked that showed you um, which things we get uh how many submissions we get for things. One thing, a caveat that I should have said about those numbers is they are, in fact, a little bit lower than normal um, because the economy sucks and people are less ready to spend $5 on a submission. They're being more careful with their money and hence their submissions, which I think is a good thing. Um, 
anyway, yeah, the best thing I can tell you, if you tuned in after I did that, go back and watch those. Um, boy, you guys are really a lot of chit-chat in the chat room about, um, about the quarantine happy hours. Um, nice to see. And so many of the people that were regulars uh, are, are still here. I see uh, Edmund Red, Jan Weiland, Riney Bear, Peter Rayhill, Heidi Owen, Katrina. C I mean, Heidi Owen Straub. Um, uh, Katrina, I think you were in on the tail end of those. Yes. Marion, definitely. Um, anyway, yeah, great to see you guys. And, you know, it's like we were the Mickey Mouse Club for almost two years, actually. Uh, okay, next question from Tom Irvin. Is it normal for a music library to require the songwriter to assign and transfer his or her original copyright uh, and master recordings in writing as part of an exclusive deal? Yes. Um, so the rule of thumb, in my opinion, is I would not give a library uh, a song that I think could be a, a hit for a big, pop artist or somebody who's a big charting artist, gold, platinum, Grammy winning artist. Don't give that stuff to a library. Don't give up the copyright or the master for that. But once you get the hang of creating music for film and TV, whether it's instrumental or songs, um, just keep putting them out there. Be Johnny Appleseed. Plant as many seeds in as many places as you can. Some will turn into trees. Some will bear fruit. Some won't. It's a numbers game, but you'll get better with every piece of music you create. Your submissions will get better because you will learn more about submitting well and targeting your submissions. It just gets better. Ask anybody. I think I saw, well, Paulie knows this, Paul Croteau, who's in, in the chat room, Edmund Red knows this. Um, I think I saw Dean Crepain certainly knows this, uh, who's in the room. Um, they all know that everything I'm telling you is true. So just do what I say and be successful. I really, we all want you to here. Um, as far as which are hardest to place, the question is a little vague, Catherine. I don't know if you mean which are the hardest to get signed to libraries or which genres might be hardest to place in actual TV shows or movies or TV commercials. Um, but yeah, just go back and watch the first half hour of the show because I, I talked about how many things got, you know, how many submissions we got, and it's very easy um, to see. By the way, you can also, Liz, if you could dig up the um, the link for listings of the tw last 12 months. Do you know that we have that page on our website and it updates every day? The miracles of modern technology it actually shows how many listings so if you're thinking about joining taxi and you want to know well do you guys get a lot of metal listings i can't tell you from the top of my head other than to say we get a lot more singer songwriter a lot more orchestral trailer listings and we probably do for metal but you can go look at that listing or that link there it is past listings taxi.com past underscore listings and that will tell you how many listings in the last 12 calendar months um, there have been for certain genres. Look at that before you decide whether you're going to join or not. Um, okay. Uh, so yeah, anytime anybody wants to sign an exclusive deal, they're going to want um, exclusive rights to the copyright 
and to the master recording, and you will keep 100% of the writer's share. Uh, many of the deals, if they don't pay you anything up front, which most don't, um, they will give you 50%. So let's say they get a sync fee of 2,500 bucks for getting it on a TV show. They get half of that, you get half of that. Um, some of the libraries that might pay you 200, 500, on rare occasions, even a thousand bucks up front to buy the copyright and the master, you still would retain the writer's share and get paid through your PRO on the back end when something airs in a TV show, for instance. Um, but if they've paid you up front, oftentimes you don't get half of the um, sync fee. So it's a trade-off, which, you know, it's like bird in hand uh, or two in the bush. Um, some people for, prefer to get the money up front, uh, figuring that the odds of getting, you know, half of a sync fee, not that great. Um, but then again, as time goes on, you get better, you develop better relationships with libraries, they develop better relationships with the shows they're working with. You might become a favorite uh, of the music supervisor and the executive producer on a particular show and find that your music is kind of their go-to thing, even though they won't do it to the point of overdoing it and like oversaturating their audience because it gets kind of obvious, but they do have go-to composers and artists that they, they like, that they would try their stuff first, see if it works. Um, okay, I think this is the last question, then we'll go to questions in the chat room. This is from Brent Witten. I co-write with several people who are not taxi members. Perfectly okay. Let's say I did get a forward with one of those co-writes, and let's say that I did get one of those signed, I think presumably to a library. Um, and then he's presuming, I think, placements, because he goes on to say, how do I handle the money and the taxes? Should I or should I not submit those co the, these co-writes? Absolutely, you can submit those co-writes. You can submit anything that you have written or co-written. Um, and how do you handle the money? Um, frankly, if it's co-write and it goes to a library, the library is going to... Um, ask you and your co-writer to give the names of your publishing companies. They want to know where to send the money. The PROs do, uh, and you really don't have to think much about it. As far as taxes, you're, you're both going to get, if you're both on record as being equal co-writers, um, and you know, you may have a different income if one of you is ASCAP, one of you is CSAC, one of you is BMI. Um, the, they do tend to pay out differently in different circumstances. I'm not going to recommend one over the other in this show. Um, so let's say that you got a hundred bucks for the current quarter for your performance royalty on a particular placement. And let's say that your 50-50 co-writer uh, was with a different PRO and got $78 for the same thing, for the same placement, the same song same back end, same quarter. You're going to pay taxes on 100 bucks. Your co-writer is going to pay taxes on 78. It's not like you get all the money and then have to send the money to your co-writer. Um, there are a lot of co-writers that wouldn't see that money because musicians, I know this is a horrible generalization. Please forgive me, all musicians in the entire world. Let's just say creative people don't always have the best business or accounting chops. Um, Many of you have been in a band, you know. Uh, 
I don't think musicians are inherently evil or trying to rip anybody off. Maybe just a little sloppy in the accounting department. So it's probably a good thing that the PROs and the publishers take care of all that stuff. So you fill out the paperwork correctly in the beginning, get it right. Make sure that if your name is Johnny letter B period good or Johnny Brent good with an E on the end of good, make sure it's the same everywhere because there could be another Johnny B. Good out there. One could be J-O-N-Y-B-E-E, -E, good with no E on the end. The other one could be J-O-H-N-N-Y, letter B with a period, good with an E, you know, all those variations. So make sure that you get it consistent from one to the next to the next place, okay? All right, um, that's right. Marion Laird won Bobby Borg's book last week, Personal Finance for Musicians. If I saw one close by, I would hold it up and give Bobby a plug. Anyway, okay, let's move on to, wow, 5 o'clock on the nose. We've got a half an hour left, um, and I can take off my little finger things. <laughs> you know, my fingers are sweaty inside now. Thanks, Beverly. Oh, i got to do this, though. Got to do this. I've got one for every finger. <laughs> Oh, cool. The green one's in. Oh, no. <laughs> My finger got amputated. <laughs> God forbid. Anyway, that was fun. Um, E.T. be good. There you go. All right, uh, please write the word question in all caps before you ask your question. That way it'll pop out in the chat a little faster and make sure that I don't miss it. And if I do miss it, um, Marion Laird will remind me because she's like the queen of, hey, Michael, you missed one. <laughs> Thanks, Marion. Edward Rubberhands, very good, Andre. Hey, by the way, here's big news. The Rally Hotel is undergoing a refresh. They are finally getting rid of those old red velvet curtains in the rooms. New carpet, new paint, new furniture, um, and new lobby, all kinds of stuff. So it, they, I actually went over there and had lunch with them the other day and got a tour of one of the renovated guest rooms and got to say, it looks definitely more modern. Um, yeah. So not only are they great hotel for taking care of us, but it's going to look better than ever. Uh, Brad Gray has a question. Uh, I have a song I've co-written and performed, whoops, and produced, and it's going to be featured on local radio this week. Do you recommend or advise caution of any distribution for this song? Um, it sounds like there's more to that question, Brad. Um, Any distribution? No, I mean, um, believe it or not, there's one that you may not have heard of that I've actually heard a lot of good stuff about. It's called Dashgo, but there's obviously CD Baby, um, Great Reputation, TuneCore. Um, oh, God, I can't think. I'm drawing a blank. But there's several of them. I don't think any of them are considered to be epic failures or inherently evil. 
a little bit of like, you know, do you want to pay up front? Do you want to pay a commission later? Uh, there are variations in how they do business that may suit you or may not suit you. But go on the taxi forum and ask your fellow members what they've used. And, you know, you're smart. Um, I know people that have gotten the okay from libraries that they're on that they can keep their music up on uh, like Apple Music or CD Baby or, or whatever, you know, that they've distributed. Uh, and the music is, is downloadable and streamable. And they've been fortunate enough to get a really good placement on a TV show and 32,000 people shazammed it. And lo and behold, a bunch of music got downloaded. It might be short-lived fame. Maybe it'll be a launching pad for building uh, longer-term relationships with your audience. Whatever the case is, it's a good thing. And I don't have any, um, I can't say, oh, stay away from that one or make sure you use that one. I, I will say that I'd never heard of Dashgo before a year or so ago. And it keeps popping up with people I know who are thoughtful people who really research the hell out of stuff. So there's that. Um, Oh yeah, Liz is reminding me um, the question from earlier. How about having three screeners evaluate each submission by checking a yes-no box to criteria one, match to listing request, and number two, is it high quality enough? Uh, if at least two say yes to the match, then forward. Um, and I don't mean this to sound insulting at all, but it's going to, um, please forgive me. We've been in business for 32 years. We have heard this a thousand times and we've tried it. Back in the day, we tried it. Guess what? First of all, it triples the screening expense. The screeners get paid 30 bucks an hour. Um, so imagine now if we took triple the time to screen something, we'd have to pay them for that. So you would then be paying $15 per song or per submission. Um, which would triple your costs. And what we found out when we did it, we were even shocked, was we got exactly, literally, like exactly the same forwards and returns as we did by having only one. Now, I know why people have asked for this over the years, because they figure, well, oh, that one person just didn't get me. They don't get me. Uh, the screeners aren't right 100% of the time, but they are right way more than they are wrong. If I had to put a number on I would say they're right like 98% of the time. Plus you get different screeners. Um, so yeah, if you only had one screener all the time and that one screener never forwarded your, your music, I could understand why you might say to yourself, maybe they just don't get me or that one screener does get me. But you're getting the same variation, you know, kind of almost random variation, if you will, of screeners that the other members who are getting forwarded and who are signing deals and who are successful are, are using. You're, you're using the same servicing, the same listings, same screeners ostensibly screening your material, and they're getting a different result. It's not the screeners. It's the, are you pitching the right thing for the right listing, and is the quality there? I'm telling you, we have so many successful members, and they all, like every single one of them, have all these things I'm saying in common. So as much as I would love to say, that's a great idea, I really appreciate you saying it, and I do. I mean, we so much of what Taxi is has been suggested by our members over the years, but we tried it and we got exactly the same result. 
And something we encourage our members to do, if you are really pissed off at a, um, at a, at a particular submission for not getting forwarded, go on our forum at forumswithans.taxi.com. Go in there and uh, post the entire listing verbiage, post a link to your song, and ask the question, do you think the screener got it right or wrong? And usually newer members who are new to the forum and they're being like a little overly sweet or polite will say, I don't know if the screener got that right. But then when the entirety of people on that particular forum chime in, 98% of the time or greater, even when it's a really contentious thing, um, the community, the public, always agrees with the screener. Um, like I said, the screeners don't, like you may not agree with a comment that the screener says, the forward or return, and, and we have had people that reach out to us and go, what's up? You know, the screener checked the box and says forwarded, uh, or in the verbiage they wrote, this is great, I'm forwarding it, and then they accidentally checked the wrong box and returned it. So thank God the member caught it and, and we rectified it. Um, there have been other cases where our head screener overruled the screener. That's why we've got a head screener. But those are really few and far between. I don't want people to be encouraged like, oh, every time I'm not happy because I didn't get forwarded, I just reach out to the head screener because I'm going to get it overturned. It's kind of like getting one judge in the court system to overturn the ruling of another judge. It's not that they are headstrong. It's like, well, I'm not going to overrule that screener. The reason they don't overrule the screener is because they listened to it and they went, yes, screener got it right. So it, it's not a Band-Aid that's going to solve your problems all the time. Uh, Weston Renovations, thanks to the rally. Yep. Ooh. Boy, it just jumped down like crazy. Let me get back to where I need to be. Um, Okay, um, here's one from John Uban. Uh, I haven't sold any of my music yet. Do I need to register each piece of my music with my PRO in order to get played, paid for them if they do sell? Um, honestly, you don't sell your music. You license it. It's more like renting it. Um, I mean, you, you do essentially sell the composition of the copyright and the master recording. Um, and then the company, the publisher, the music library, then licenses it, which is kind of like renting it to a TV show. When you hear music in a TV show, they didn't buy it. Um, a library kind of buys it, but you retain a piece of it that earns you money down the road when it's performed. But that that's a whole show. Um, you should buy... Um, I, I hate to jump up. Every time I jump up, it upsets the green screen. Um, but Liz, if you could be so kind as to put links up to um, Steve Barden's book and um, Dino's two books, because um, everybody who's trying to work in film and TV should be reading those books. Oh, also um, Tracy and Vance Marino's book as well. Okay, so uh, getting back to that question, um, 
the libraries want to know that you are signed with a PRO. Um, many of them don't require you to register the song with the PRO because they may change the title by putting a little code in front of it. Let's say it's Michael Lasko's Music Library. They may, uh, your song may be called Mary Had a Little Lamb and they would drop an ML for Michael Lasko so that they know that that title belongs to their library. So they have amended the title. Therefore, if you registered that song with your PRO in advance, now the new title needs to be registered as well. There are people who actually are more knowledgeable um, because they've got firsthand experience doing this every day who are our successful taxi members that are on our forum at forums.taxi.com. This is why I'm always preaching about the taxi community. Use all of taxi. You will learn so much about the industry. Also make sure that you go to our um, YouTube page and watch um, the new member video, Taxi 101. 90 minutes of pure gold. <laughs> no, it, it's good stuff. It is. All right. Uh, let's see. Um, question from Chuck Durang. Does an artist's new album contain many good cuts? Does an artist's new album contain many good cuts, he wrote, and only a couple of great tunes from others? I'm not really understanding the question, Chuck, but I think I might understand it, which is like a, a record of a big artist. Do, do they just put a few of their own things on there and then do covers of other people's stuff? That's a decision that the the artist, the A&R person, the vice president of the A&R department and the president of the label and the manager probably all chime in on that decision. It depends. If an artist is really, really a great writer, like the Eagles do not do covers because they've got a bunch of great writers. Rarely do they do covers. They've got a bunch of great writers, so they don't need outside material. Sometimes labels will ask an artist, hey, why don't you cover this or cover that? Or maybe the artist just absolutely loves a song and wants to cover it. Um, but when they cover somebody else's song, they're losing money because they're not going to reap the benefits of being the songwriter, therefore get the publishing income. So I hope that helps. And I hope I understood the question decently. Um, Jilly, Jilly Ham? I want to know what type of genre it is when they say nothing's wrong with the song, just not what they need. Um, how would I know? I'm not hearing it. I couldn't tell you what genre. But a huge percentage of the music that does not get forwarded by Taxi is because it's just not the right thing for the listing. You'd be in shock. And every library owner I know would tell you the same thing, that if they put out a brief even to their experienced people who are already on their roster um, and they send out a brief saying, hey guys, we need you know a, a song like this in the next four hours, anybody have it? People send in stuff that's not even close. So I don't know why that is. Is it just wishful thinking and people figure, what the hell, I'll throw it against the wall, see if it sticks. Really, in the case of a library, if you do that more than once or twice, you are earning a black star on your report card because they may take you off of the list of people that get briefs from them because they don't have the time to consistently go, oh, here's that person again, never sending anything close to what I asked for. They're just taking a pot shot. 
but that that is the main reason people don't get forwarded. We hear great stuff, but it's not what somebody asked for. I'm going to give you the quick shoe store story, which I've told a thousand times. I worked in a shoe store, worked in the shoe department of a department store when I was like 14, 15 years old. Um, now, can you imagine a lady comes in, which ladies often came in looking for shoes to match their bridesmaid dress. And they would come in and say, I need a pot pump with a three and a half inch heel, size seven and a half B, and I need it in beige. And I could have brought out a men's penny loafer, Basswegian, in Cordovan in a nine and a half D. And nobody would argue that Basswegian makes incredible um, penny loafers. Top quality, really good looking shoe, really sturdy. They fit well, they're true to size, all that good stuff. But they are not a ladies pump with a three and a half inch heel. They're both shoes, they're both excellent. But if you need a ladies pump in a seven and a half B with a three and a half inch heel in a certain color, and I bring you the wrong shoe, can't use it. The music industry is just like that. I know people wanna believe if they just hear my song or my instrumental, they're gonna go, oh my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever heard. But they're not gonna rewrite the scene in a TV show and reshoot it, call the actors back even if they were available and reshoot it and rebuild the set and rehire the camera people and the sound people and the makeup people and the wardrobe people and re-rent the wardrobe and do all that just because your song is so friggin' good that they've gotta put it in that scene. They're not gonna do that. They're gonna find a song that fits the scene because they're experienced professionals that know what they need. They know what kind of vibe, what kind of emotion, what kind of melody, what kind of tempo, what kind of textural feel. They, they know that stuff. They're not right 100% of the time, but they'll get it right more often than they don't. Or if they have to pivot, they'll pivot well because they've been pivoting for their whole career. So they're, they're not gonna accept a Basswegian for a ladies pump. That's what they're telling you. Um, looking for a next question. Oops, all of a sudden it just went pew. Yeah, Paul Croteau says, one of the biggest mistakes new members make is trying to force one of their existing songs into a listing. Write to the brief, don't force your music into it. Yep, no square pegs and round holes, baby. Uh, Marion Laird says, submit a perfect hard rock song to an R&B listing. Happens every day here, numerous times, many, many times. Uh, All right. Maybe we're out of questions. Could that be? A 
Lake Six has been writing to the brief. Writing to the brief has been a game changer for me. Even what doesn't land goes into a personal catalog. Yeah, absolutely. We hear that from everybody who becomes successful at Taxi, that the pivot point, the launching pad, the moment of inflection for them when they went from being um, an amateur with multiple failures over and over and over was the day they realized I know this seems like a lot, but I'm going to try and write something to that brief, that taxi listing, before the deadline and see how I do. And you may not get it right the first, second, third, fifth time, but eventually you will. And you get faster every time you do it and better. And that is the difference oftentimes between a successful member and a member who's not. Uh, Pump action shoes, there you go. ML is a shoe salesman, yep. I really like selling shoes, I gotta tell you. Here's something I've never told you guys, even during the quarantine happy hours, do you know that I was a professional scuba diver uh, before I got into the music industry? I worked for a company called Reef Incorporated in Miami and I had the best job in the world. I think I was 18 years old. Uh, I got the job summer after freshman year in college, memory serves, and I was the third person hired at the company. The president was number one, the vice president number two, and I was in charge. We had a warehouse, like 500 tanks filled with fish that we would export to sea aquariums and pet stores and stuff, all saltwater species. So I had to learn every saltwater species of fish that you could possibly think of. And we were in Miami, so two or three days a week, I would go down to the Florida Keys and get to go scuba diving, collecting fish all day long for a living. That was awesome. And then a little later, once they learned to trust me, I would get flown down to the Bahamas from Miami on a little seaplane to teach Bahamian divers how to collect the fish without harming them. And that was the greatest job ever. Imagine that, you wake up in the morning, drive to a place where you get on a seaplane, go back to sleep in the back seat of the plane. It was like a four-seater Cessna. Um, wake up an hour later, you know, landing on the water in the Bahamas, spending all day teaching people how to collect fish. The end of the day, go grab a lobster, shove a stick through it, roast it on an open fire on the beach. Plane would land, I'd get on, fly home, and go party with my roommates. I was a very happy 18-year-old. Ken Mesford says he wrote a glass slipper. There you go, Ken. <laughs> Ooh, there goes a question. Uh, hi, first time chatting. Hello, Lake Sick. Uh, nice to meet you. Thank you. Nice to meet you as well. Of course, the goal is always all three, but is there a hierarchy screeners have for production lyrics arrangements specifically for sync? No, um, there's not a hierarchy. Um, you know what, go watch some of the taxi TVs uh, where our head screener is actually reviewing music on the show. Uh, each listing is unique. Um, and, and frankly, it's got to kind of hit on all cylinders. You, you might totally nail the melodic intervals to capture the melodic vibe of something that they're using as a reference. But if the tempo's wrong or the lyric is just too far afield. There aren't really specific, like scientific answers that I understand 
the urge to like, well, tell me what the secret, you know, how do you do the Rubik's Cube of submitting music? Give me the shortcut. The shortcut is, is failing a bunch of times till you get it right. Once you get it right, you go, oh, that's what I got right. And we do our best to, we've learned from what our members get right over the years, and we've tried so hard to convey that, but there is no exact science. It's music. Um, One thing I can tell you about lyrics for sync is the thing I mentioned earlier in the show. Specificity is a bad thing. Um, I walked into the smoky bar and heard the crunch of the peanut shells under my boots. And then I saw her blue eyes out on the dance floor uh, wearing that American flag halter top. Uh, she was, not you. <laughs> so you, you can't use that in a show that doesn't have an American flag halter top, blue eyes on the female in the scene, um, peanut shells on the floor, smoky bar, all that stuff. You, and you, you're probably thinking because people want to find a way to make that work where you think that sooner or later somebody's going to have a show that's got all those elements. Yeah, in, in your grandchildren's lifetime, not in your lifetime, the odds of that happening are so slim. But even if that happened tomorrow and you go, I got the perfect song. I got a song about a girl named Betsy with blue eyes on the dance floor in a smoky bar with peanut shells on the floor wearing an American flag halter top. Lucky me. They're not going to use your song. You know why? Because they don't like to put music in there that's what they call too on the nose. It just is cheesy uh, if it exactly matches. Um, tell you what. On Amazon Prime, go find episode 10 of the show, season 9, episode 10 of the show Suits. You know that lawyer show? I just finished, I've been binging the series for weeks now. Uh, I know I'm really late to the party on that, but it was a cute show, easily digestible, not going to win a lot of Emmys probably, although you do fall in love with the characters. Um, Watch the last five minutes, season nine, episode 10. I don't remember the name. Did I? Let me see if I Shazam that one. I am the king of Shazamming music. Um, Shazam. Oh my goodness, we're almost out of time. Library. Um, Hmm. Okay. I believe the song might have been Viva La Vida by Coldplay. I think I might be right about that. Um, anyway, watch the last five, six, seven minutes, season nine, episode 10. It's the series ending episode. And that was one of the few times where I made a mental note send an email to that music supervisor for doing an excellent job. There were two storylines with two different characters and they were able to edit the song and place the song in time where the song was placed so perfectly. If you want to understand something about the art of music supervision, I actually made a mental note um, 
you know, to, to reach out to the supervisor and say, great job. Uh, and number one, I'd love to turn our members on to that so that they can see the art and science of great music supervision. It's just one example. It's not a one-size-fits-all craft, but it will make you go, ah, I get it. And I'm excited. I want to hear what you guys think about it. Um, all right, one more question. I've got like, what, three minutes, two minutes left, uh, three minutes. Um, with instrumentals for any genres, their advice regarding being close to the listing but not copying? Yes, the advice is listen to the three examples and do what I call triangulate. Um, do they all have a similar tempo? Yes, they do. Use it. Do they all have a similar, like, bouncy, happy, emotional vibe? Yes, they do. Then you need a bouncy, happy, emotional vibe. Uh, do they all have major chords and a kind of similar melodic interval? Yes, they do. Then you should as well. So, yeah, if you hear three, you're not trying to copy any one of them. They're looking for something that if you heard it as the fourth reference on that playlist, you'd go, fits right in there. That's the secret. So take that information, combine it with the specifics that are in the listing. There is definitely an art to reading the tea leaves of a listing, but please don't blame taxi, don't blame the industry, because literally tens of thousands of people over the last 31 and three quarters years have figured it out. Therefore, you can figure it out. Nobody's trying to make it hard for you. Nobody's trying to keep you out of the industry. The industry's lifeblood is great music. Everybody I've ever known in the music industry wants to find great music. They are not trying to keep anybody out. They are praying to God that they find the next right piece of music or the next great creator of that music. Trust me. Um, All right, Edmund Red, Michael, this is not really a question, but a word of appreciation and gratitude um, for having me in your July top 10. You are so welcome. And that's the first I'm hearing about, to be perfectly honest, Edmund. Um, I literally have no input on the top 10. The staff and the screeners make those decisions. Um, and I do listen to them every month. I just haven't listened to them yet. Um, I was working quite a bit yesterday on some taxi stuff. I took Saturday the whole day off and did nothing but watch UFO shows on uh, the History Channel and Sci-Fi. The UFO shows are getting so much better. And I'm not convinced that they're real or they're not real. I think the possibility definitely exists. And when you watch enough of those shows, you go, oh my gosh, there's a lot of video footage out there now. Um, but thank you, Edmund. Great to see you type. <laughs> um, Martin Gravel says, it's alchemy applied to music. I think that's a fair statement. All right, guys, um, we are done in three seconds. Um, I have no idea what I'm going to do next week, but if anybody would like to suggest to that gentleman at the other YouTube channel who says all that stuff that's not really true about taxi. Um, I, I would love to have him come on and, and show me the evidence. Let's, let's debate the music industry and uh, that sort of stuff. Um, because if he's telling the truth, he would have a really good time on the show.
remember, there was a time before he started spewing stuff about taxi that I think is not only mythical, but highly incorrect, that I was trying to get a hold of him to invite him to be on the show. Uh, he should be a taxi member. <laughs> anyway, great to see you guys. Uh, see you next week on what will be the 10th of July for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Bye-bye. <laughs>